Good to be with you again for this third daily devotional in our series on the book of Isaiah. I'm Stuart Holman and today we move to one of the very significant moments, one of many in fact, in the book of Isaiah. Uh, we're in Isaiah chapter 6, which records the commissioning of the prophet and an outline of his mission. In effect, God grabs Isaiah and gives him a job, but it's a very surprising job. Uh, the first five chapters of the book of Isaiah form a kind of introduction, like the preface of a book or the, the, the overture of a symphony. All of the key themes are introduced, now awaiting further development. And already we know that this book of Isaiah includes a searing critique of God's people and their wandering away from covenant faithfulness to him. Isaiah addressing the words of God to his people brings a blistering series of accusations and indictment aimed at actually persuading God's people to turn back to him. But what we learn in Isaiah 6 when the prophet is commissioned by God is that this message is doomed to fail. Now, the first part of Isaiah 6 describes Isaiah's actual commissioning where Isaiah finds himself in a vision at the throne room of heaven and God asks who will go and do a job for him. Isaiah volunteers in verse 8. So let's read on from there. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, For how long, Lord? And he answered, Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away, and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be a stump in the land. So somewhat surprisingly, Isaiah is told to go and preach God's word to his people but his message is not going to bring repentance, but instead it's going to have the opposite effect. Isaiah is to pronounce judgment. The people will hear, but they won't understand. They will see, but they won't perceive. Instead of turning back to God, their hearts will become calloused. Isaiah wonders if this negative effect might just be temporary. For how long should he keep preaching such a negative message, he asks. And God answers in verses 11 through 13 that he should keep on preaching until all the judgment he warns about is actually experienced by the people, until the cities of Israel are ruined and empty, until they've been invaded and the people exiled away from God's promised land. Scripture does not record how Isaiah felt about this new job. It might have initially felt a 
bit of a hospital pass. Uh, that's not a technical theological term, it's a sporting expression uh, where a teammate passes you the ball softly and gently, just as all the biggest and baddest opposition forwards arrive to smash you in a big tackle. It's called a hospital pass because that's where you end up, even if you catch the ball successfully. So is Isaiah's commission a divine hospital pass? I think the answer is a robust no, not at all. Rather than a hospital pass, Isaiah is given a great honour and blessing. Now some may disagree, but the reason I think this is not a hospital pass is found in the first part of Isaiah's commissioning. So we're in verses 1 through 7. Let's jump back and have a look at this part of Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. This is no hospital pass because Isaiah is on God's team. He's not on Israel's team. What's happening here is that God is inviting Isaiah in and onto his team. You might remember that King Isaiah was the not-so-bad king of Judah, centered in Jerusalem, who reigned for over 50 years. It was a long period of stability. But Isaiah's reign ended badly for him because he took it upon himself to enter into the part of the temple reserved only for priests and to burn his own incense before God. Even though he was king, he entered into God's presence in an unauthorized way. So God afflicted him with leprosy for the rest of his life. He was now ceremonially unclean and now excluded from ordinary temple worship of his people. For the rest of his days, his son Jotham had to stand in his place. And so anyone in the wrong place in the temple, anyone drawing near to God who was not properly authorized and ritually clean, they better look out. Isaiah is not a priest. He has no business in the holy part of the temple, let alone in the holy of holies. That's the, the inner sanctum where God's presence manifest itself over the mercy seat atop the Ark of the Covenant. But in his vision, 
Even more scarily, Isaiah is transported directly into the very presence of God, into the heavenly throne room, which the temple was only a picture of. Instead of carved representations of the seraphim, the mighty throne attendants in God's presence, Isaiah stumbles into the real thing. There they are, with six wings and singing God's praises as they always do. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Of course, the foundations of the temple are shaking in fear at the presence of God. No wonder Isaiah cries out, Woe to me, I'm ruined. He's totally out of his depth and he's in the wrong place. He knows that God is holy and he is not, that he has unclean lips and he lives among a people who are unclean. And worst of all, cries Isaiah, my eyes have seen God, the true King of Israel and the King of all creation. Of course he knows that no one can see God and live. But, and this is the turning point, but God calls Isaiah onto his team. His unclean lips are purified, his guilt is taken away and his sin atoned for. He is now a fully qualified representative of God. And he will speak to Israel and Judah on God's behalf, his words carrying God's authority. Isaiah does not need the approval of anyone but God. His message may be ignored. The people's hearts may be hardened. They may not like him. He will be unpopular. But it doesn't matter because he's not on Israel's team anymore. He belongs to God. He has been given the great honour and blessing of being identified with the Holy One. When we find ourselves speaking among our people at work, among our friends at the dinner table, whose team are we on? It's true that we are not prophets in the same sense that Isaiah is, and yet, if we are Christian people, we are filled with the same Holy Spirit who spoke through Isaiah. By that same Spirit, we've been adopted as God's children. More than God's representatives, we're God's family. Unlike Isaiah's message of condemnation, we have the wonderful news, the good news, of salvation in Jesus Christ. So whose team are we really on? The Apostle John shared the same message of life in his first epistle. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life, the life appeared. We've seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which is with the Father and has appeared to us. 